Good afternoon. Thank you all for coming this afternoon. Um, I'm Echo Ash and I'm the uh, curator of uh, Forum, the talks programme at 154. Um, it's my great pleasure uh, to welcome Ati Pacharuga uh, on the occasion of his first major uh, UK solo show of Gods, Rainbows and Emissions, which I'm hoping, guessing, most people have uh, seen already upstairs, uh, currently on display. Um, Ati's work, Ati works across a variety of mediums, including costume, performance, sculpture, video and photography, as well as handcrafted tapestry. And, and through mythical creatures set in dramatic scenes and presented in multiple media, uh, his work uh, criticizes, parodies, questions the political status quo of post-apartheid South Africa. Uh, He's most recently held a solo presentation at the Armory Show in New York, uh, as well as recent, uh, recently debuting his uh, performance over the rainbow at Performer 12, and holding a self-titled exhibition at the Bass Museum of Art in Miami. Uh, he's been included in group shows with the Louis Vuitton Foundation in Paris, uh, San Francisco MoMA, uh, Tate Modern, Guggenheim Bilbao, and at the South African Pavilion at the 55th uh, Venice Biennale. Uh, before we uh, start, just Two things to let you know, this talk has been recorded and will be available uh, via, SoundCloud, via the uh, SoundCloud, SoundCloud site of uh, 154, Art Fair. And I also want to thank Christie's Education as the uh, sponsor for uh, Forum Talks Program. Before anything else, give me a uh, uh, great pleasure to welcome Ati. Please join me in welcoming. <laughs> um, so format-wise, um, we will uh, talk for roughly, I don't know, uh, 45 minutes or so, there'll be uh, time for questions at the end of that. But I think we're going to start um, with a, um, a video. video. Yeah. So the video comes from the first series and also the first room that you will see when you actually come into the exhibition space. It's a series that I've been working on since 2010 up until 2016 called The Future White Woman of Azania, also known as Fwa. <laughs> The video was commissioned by Puma, um, and it was not editioned. It was to be dedicated to the world. So anyone who wants to see it can see it online. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll own it as the public. <laughs>
So um, in 2010, um, I invented a character called the future white woman of Azania, uh, who is made up of um, a ton of multicolored balloons. And um, using a, a tool that I love using in performance, um, which is that of the procession. Oh, sorry, I should have said, phone's off. <laughs> oh, I'm good. Sorry. It's okay. So um, in 2010, I started this character where I would actually do performances where I do a procession through a space. And then um, also these balloons are filled up with lots of liquids. And there's a metaphor that somehow um, comes from that, which is during this procession that I'm doing, I am moving with all these identities that are somehow weighing me down. And I'm walking from point A to point B with the goal of popping as many balloons as possible to somehow shed this identity and let out some kind of purging. And the water somehow is a purge of sorts. So later on, I would do it in, like I'd fill it up with water, I'd fill it up with glitter, I'd move on to talcum powder, to everything that can fit into a balloon and somehow influence my identity. And um, yeah, Future White Woman of Azania speaks about many things from complicity of the white woman, also construction of, um, of identities and how we can actually shake them off. Well, so they speak about that, but let's, let, let's start from that basis. Who are the future white women of Azania? Who is the future white woman? Well, um, the future white woman of Azania is um, the, main like the main population of a world that is half true, half not, and also something lost in the middle that then allows me to go in and counter-propose new ways in which I can make a future. So the future white woman of Azania revolves, yeah, around this character that A, could be anyone, but also I'm trying to stretch out the word, um, the word which is white. And coming from South Africa where there's nine languages, white can mean um, on one end someone who actually can see the future, and it can also stretch to basically the race. So I want that confusion to happen. So if you can see the future, <laughs> that's great. And also the whiteness of it is sort of like this cocooning of like living this life where your identity is cocooning you from like many things. And that's where maybe the conversation on complicity comes mm -hmm. in because I explore complicity on so many levels in my work from me as an artist, me as someone who actually wears women's clothes in, in my performance because I get to take them off, right? And that's me basically traipsing down um, a road in Grahamstown in the Eastern Cape of South Africa. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I'd ever performed in an, in an environment where it's my home province. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I'm from the township in South Africa, so I'd never done a performance piece in the townships. So I remember going there and actually doing a performance and seeing that beautiful child and their grandfather, and I completely broke down because... Um, yeah, PTSD and memories of just growing up and how I actually, the trauma that then allowed me when I was a kid to create characters in my head. Do you want, let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's talk, let's, let's go to Atipatra as a child then, growing up in the townships here. You talk about trauma, I don't know how much you want to, you know, you want to dwell on that. I'm putting in the work, yeah. So I'll talk and about so it. So what does that look like? What's your, you know, who are you as a child and what are you encountering? Oh, well, it starts with my parentals because my father was um, a member in the leadership of um, the ADJ, which was the Association for Democratic Journalism. Um, his activities um, had to have him live in the Transkei, which is a Bantustan, uh, which was not part of the Republic of South Africa. And we had to live in the Suskai 
And then another what's part. What's Siskai is what? Siskai is basically the opposite of the Trotskai. So there's a river called the Kai River that, um, that, that basically bisects the land of the Kosa Nation in mm -hmm. two. And these two homelands were made with semi self governing in a way. However, they were puppet states. Yes. So I somehow think, um, you know, like late Cold War, there was the Stans as well. I think that yeah. that's where we've got that word, uh, Bantu Stan. Mm -hmm. And uh, for also, there would be that movement that would do across this river. My mother would go see my dad. We didn't cross the river like by foot. My mom would drive across the river. Mm -hmm. And then um, also I would have to go to school from the Republic or like from the Republic of the Siskai, Abantustan, and then I'd go into the Republic of, um, from the Republic of the Siskai to the Republic of the Transkai, and I'd go for schooling. That's the first sort of like the movement somehow was traumatic for mm -hmm. me. And also the changes. I was raised in a traditional family that actually practiced indigenous um, religion. And then I would go to school and then I'd be taught, um, I'd, I'd go to a Protestant school whereby I'd have to learn about um, an Abrahamic God of sorts. So that becomes a, a kind of displacement, an exile of sorts, or rather a negotiation. I've had to feel that um, I've created characters or made myself to negotiate <laughs> those two polarities, like the rest of South Africa, actually, in modern times. And where, where is this? This is still in this procession. So the city is shaped in a circular, mm -hmm. like circular form. It's um, a settler town. Mm -hmm. So it's history. It's one of the first cities of South Africa. Right there mm -hmm. is um, a camera obscura, which basically was tracking my movements around the town. Mm -hmm. So also there's Panoptican uh, prisons. So everything is about surveying the native. The history of it was just, we're the settler place that's just going to survey. Mm -hmm. And there's also a lot of battles. The Battle of the Axe where the Kosa people won um, in a hundred year uh, 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 like liberation struggle for themselves. They kind of won that one battle and it happened in this city. Mm -hmm. So once again, speaking of memorializing, especially in battles as well, here um, is a monument of uh, the Grateful Dead um, from the Anglo-Boer War, which was mm -hmm. later called the South African War. Already hearing the Anglo-English Boer War, it's like these two white guys fighting over black land, mm -hmm. you know? And there's an irony there, or even just a hypocrisy of sorts, because there's no name of women, there's no name of the Khoisan, who were basically the trackers who were helping the Boers and also the English, and there's no name of, um, yeah, any other characters that were either not white or male. Mm -hmm. And for me, these balloons, I acted, I climbed this um, statue as a way of actually inserting myself in history. As much as this is etched in stone, I wanted to use my balloons and the purge that comes mm -hmm. from the balloons to leave my mark. Mm -hmm. And that's a counter-proposal of sorts. I mean, let, let's talk, you know, future white women of Azania, let's talk about Azania mm. and describe to me what this place is. Well, the fact part of Azania is that um, it was written about uh, by Pliny the Elder in like, I think 40 AD, where he was actually talking about um, the trade winds and how the Indian Ocean has trade winds that could take you from India to West Africa down to an area that is now called Mozambique. And it describes how the east coast of Africa basically was a thriving civilization of its, uh, of its own. Um, it then moves on to another mention of it. Evelyn Waugh also writes mm -hmm. about it. And um, also it goes on to the liberation struggle in South Africa. Post-1960s um, mostly, we start hearing this name a lot. You start hearing of the Pan-Africanist Congress of um, South Africa, of, of Azania. You start hearing of um, the black consciousness movement of Azania. You also start um, hearing about the Azanians People's Organization. And I think from then onwards, it sort of like materializes 
this vision of what people are fighting for. By naming themselves as Anian, they were trying to truly shape their own identity and shape and wrestle and wrangle and create a new world or a safe space or even worst yet, a utopia. And we all know what utopias mm -hmm. um, <laughs> tend to involve. You need to build an army to protect one. You need to have borders, visas, all of that. And yeah, usually they betray themselves, utopias, you know? And I love working with that idea of a utopia being a, a great myth in which South Africa was founded. So, I mean, how, how powerful was, was the idea of Azania? Like, I mean, is this something that, that's uh, conjured once? Is this something that's regularly described? You know, how present is it as an idea? Well, um, from those movements, I think that for me, it becomes then 1994 comes, which one would think is the end of history, or mm -hmm. one would actually think... Um, so this is the end is of apartheid. The, yeah, the end of apartheid then becomes... Um, this place whereby um, Azania has the potential to realize itself finally, as it is a post-liberation space. And, well, once again, it didn't realize itself, you know? So for me, I see it as a, as a and also like in, in popular culture, there are children, young uh, women who are named, uh, who were named Azania during the 80s and like sort of like the 70s. And uh, <laughs> so it becomes something that is part of people's imagination. Mm -hmm. There's always been a proposal um, a proposal, I'd say, for a, for, for a better word, really, um, mm -hmm. that South Africa's name should be changed to Azania. Because we all know that South Africa is the most redundant and most unambitious name to name a place. It's like, <laughs> South yeah. Africa. Yeah. It's like, we would like a cute name. That's not, of course, Rhodesia, because yeah. that's also as crap as the mm. same thing. So uh, for me, that, that those are the contradictions that I'm mm -hmm. somehow working with. And walking in these spaces yeah. and walking the land I want, people, I want people's attention to be brought to that, especially using that word, because also it's a word that is, is um, contentious because it's usually the males who are fighting for Azania. It's usually yeah. the straight males who are fighting for Azania and trying to etch themselves into it. And for me, that once again becomes an omission. And I think um, speaking of rainbows being promises and omissions being also a way in which people can shape their nationalism, you know? So, and then it materializes. <laughs> so in my head, after walking um, around in, um, in actual real life and dealing with my audience and actually feeling how I should actually perfect the character and color of my world, this happens. And this work is called The Night of the Long Knives. And it all looks cute and all. It's got a nice like moonlit feeling to it, a hyper moonlit feeling to it. And it's a procession to somewhere. It's another tool, like a tool that I use, procession. And it's an introduction to the many signifiers of a nation. So I'm establishing now in very traditional terms, mm -hmm. or somehow parodying the traditional establishment of, of, of um, a nation. Mm -hmm. So we've got a national flower, which we saw in the video. So this is, this well. is a zania come to... Yes, this is a zania yeah. by moonlight, you yeah. can say. <laughs> and um, so you have the flower of a zania, which was my friend Teboho, who was wearing an outfit made up of like sun hats, like our, all of our aunties have those hats. And um, also it's made to look like, uh, uh, not flowery, but I wanted to dematerialize and make it very hard as well, like a cast flower of mm -hmm. sorts that could also double up as an anti-sculpture, you know? And the national animal is the saber-toothed zebra. I grew up watching um, the Power Rangers and I've personally always wanted to be the saber-toothed tiger mm -hmm. guy, you know? But um, I couldn't. So <laughs> um, what happens as well in this nation of mine, remember it is post-94. Let's say that if there would be a context, it's post-94, 
But there was also like communications of like fracking. Fracking mm -hmm. being sort of like the breaking of ground to extract like, a, like, like gas. But mm. the fallout from that is quite crazy. So the saber-toothed tiger becomes an evolution of something that could it's have a mutation, up, yeah. a mutation of sorts. Yeah. And then we once again have the future white woman riding it. Mm -hmm. um, for all the people who are affiliated with PETA, that is a stuffed um, zebra. <laughs> and at the back, um, our, um, that is somehow the Abu Dades, who I speak about in the first video upstairs. And um, the Abu Dades to me represent the reproductive system mm -hmm. of Azania. Because what I'm then asked after I say that this is the reproductive um, system of Azania, I'm asked, how do they make babies? And Always, there's something so gendered about, um, about uh, reproduction. And also, it can be problematized when you ask too many questions and wanting to own like the woman's body with mm -hmm. regards to that system. So when I answer that question, I just say they bump hips when they're dancing, and <laughs> new babies are made. Because mm -hmm. I'm the only um, character who's a male there. I mm -hmm. start as the narrator, and then I move on to being um, a hostage mm -hmm. that is taken um, to an exile island that happens in the next series. Mm -hmm. So I spoke about things that every self-respecting nation has, and we've got ourselves a crest that has basically our characters, and then it has the Corsican head, which is also um, me entering um, I think this is this is the yeah the Corsican the head is the is the is the profile there. Yeah. Sometimes it's called the Moor's head, and um, it's a it's, it it goes into the history of sort of like an omission of sorts. I remember we were speaking earlier mm. today. You're saying in sixteen. Um, oh, good lord! Yes. Yeah, well, um, omission indeed. So in sixteen oh two in in England, Queen Elizabeth the first kind of uh, sets out a decree really telling the, the, the moors that exist, as she describes them, the moors and the niggers she talks Negers. about in, in England, to be gone, yes. to get out, because there are too many of them. Yes. They're kind of infecting the land in 1602. <laughs> the browning of, yeah. of Elizabeth exactly. in yes. England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's always been the case, <laughs> like the fear of browning. Yeah. But um, this particular head comes from, is an intervention, or rather me remixing the, the Corsican head, in the, in the, I think the Corsican flag, has, or one mm -hmm. of their emblems, has a head with the, um, a, a Moore's head covered mm -hmm. in, um, in um, a blindfold, right? So for me, I took it and I lifted it up because I found that just that simple act is empowering the Moore's mm -hmm. head. It can now return the gaze. And then directly on top, I'm doing another tribute um, um, to a medieval, a medieval or um, someone during the Crusades, or a saint now, actually. He's been a saint for a while. He was canonized um, back in the day. And his name is Saint Maurice. So um, like, this is also me bringing in sort of like the presence of sort of like blackness in mm -hmm. um, European or sort of like Western art. And then I remix the, the, the helm or the, 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 this, is, this armor that uh, he could have probably worn when he's gone to the Middle East or something to ransack Jerusalem. And um, at the top there is a very primitivist bone because throughout my work, I always um, touch on that. I've always loved that bone. It's either in the ear, like in the stained glass, mm -hmm. or it's through the nose, mm -hmm. or it's up here with a pom-pom of an mm -hmm. afro. But for me, it's something that's um, always just, uh, it's a leitmotif. Well, so sense. obviously the, 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 the contrary to that is to suggest, well, this is an insulting symbol and it's a symbol yes. of dehumanization and so on. But your counter to that would be what? 
would to be would be to um, bring it back and show it in a different way. Mm -hmm. I like taking uh, especially used images, especially images that make me feel like I'm subjugated or make me feel like there is a history of subjugation, mm. especially through image making, whether it is kunri or whether it is. Um, Wow, like hyper-feminization sometimes mm -hmm. or all of that. So I love taking that and somehow change it mm. and see how a, a 2018 or a 2013, in this case, audience would respond to mm -hmm. it. Um, but somehow I feel it, 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 it empowers me mm -hmm. and, and it, it somehow puts in that work, like it mm -hmm. becomes therapy for the trauma that we were speaking of earlier. And then we always have to have a motto, of course, and the motto for the nation is Nihil Reich which is a cross between Latin and German. Mm -hmm. uh, it means a state of nothingness. So mm -hmm. nihil is nil and um, reich is state. Mm -hmm. And I love delicious flowers, like delicious monsters. Mm. Um, so they feature a lot as well through, through my mm -hmm. work. They just have a, a beautiful shape to them. I really mm -hmm. don't have a, an esoteric or higher <laughs> <laughs> reason as to why. But originally this was a stained glass window that we presented in 2013. So we're now going back again to memorializing things through stained glass. Mm -hmm. Let's, before before we get into this, and obviously you want to talk well, well basically <laughs> the, the the role of tapestry, the role of handmade uh, works here. How and why? How do you come to that? Of which reasons do you come to that? Well, a German immigrant home economics teacher <laughs> taught me how to do mm -hmm. needlepoint because I never did woodwork. Those are the two choices you had mm -hmm. at school. And woodwork, because I, I, I always got into fights in high school for obvious reasons. And um, I would rather, have, yeah, they just mm. put me in cookies and like to do mm -hmm. needlework and stuff. And it was great for me. It was mm. a, a nice therapy of sorts. I could create my world. Mm. And um, so I dropped it when I went to fashion school as well um, in Johannesburg and then I picked it up again mm -hmm. um, around about 2006 I picked it up again after my graduation mm -hmm. so I just went bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then I started um, incorporating the story and creating the story of Azania its textures its aesthetics and all of that and this is one of the other characters that then come into play Miss Azania every self-respecting nation has a um, uh, a beauty queen or the pageantry of the woman's body as proof of nationalism, right? I remember in South Africa, uh, we used to not uh, show, um, um, along with the sports uh, bannings, we couldn't also have, we show overseas like um, uh, in Miss Universes and Miss South Africa, and also it was segregated. There was a black Miss South Africa and a white Miss South Africa. So um, it, there was a Miss South Africa and then a black Miss South okay. Africa. Yeah. Because of course you can say white, no. it's going to be European, which is naturalized. Mm. And um, so the thing is for me, I've always, like not always felt a love of, I used to love watching them on TV, those dresses, the songs, the tears at the end. It's like this triumph of the heart, you know, it's a beautiful thing to watch. It also becomes a monomyth, the program itself becomes yeah. a monomyth, you know? So um, for me, as I grow up and I start getting woke, <laughs> I start realizing that, wow, nationalism can really be played on a woman's body. We call things Mama Africa, mm -hmm. we call things Mother Russia, mm -hmm. we use rape as a tool of war, how mm -hmm. to take over places, you know? So it gets me into that, and I felt that I had to memorialize all those trials and tribulations whereby mm -hmm. nationalism and a woman's beauty can just mm -hmm. be used for something that is quite dark. Mm -hmm. I mean, on that basis then, uh, so you talk about that in very real terms, it's quite dark, and yet the, the, the image itself, the tapestry is excessively rich, yeah. colorful, yeah. gorgeous to look at. How do you square that? It has to be like that for me because 
I think that's why I have to wear costumes, because I wear costumes to deal with issues that I can't deal with when I'm wearing CVs, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I wear costumes to be able to speak truth to power, whether it's to, the, or to art history, mm -hmm. my collective history, or my personal history. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it cushions me, and it has materialized in me wanting to cushion the audience a bit in a tricky way, because I am a bit of a trickster. Performance has to have a trickster element to it. So I bring you in, with all this beauty mm -hmm. and like all this sort of like finery, and then you're trapped because you're trying to figure out why is it so damn beautiful? <laughs> there must be something wrong here. And I think it links back to the idea of utopia, whereby um, utopia always makes me automatically think of the lack. Um, I've never thought of utopia post the fact that it's a beautiful land where yeah. all great things happen. You know, it always brings me back to sort of like saying, wait, there's always something crawling to yeah. somehow threaten it. Yeah. And then she comes into flesh. So sometimes I'd start, uh, I'd start a character sometimes as a public performance, and then it ends up being a photograph. Because that's another way of, um, of making it last longer. Performance mm -hmm. art is a very ethereal medium. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, especially coming from a country whereby we do need to have um, like a knowledge that is passed down, some kind of like institutional memory as mm -hmm. well that comes with art, I feel that you can't just do a performance and then leave it there. You have to use video. You have to use many, many other elements to somehow explore um, its many possibilities as well. So here we have Mrs. Zania. She's in exile and she's waiting in exile. The state of waiting and the state of exile is one that interests me because um, I, always think of, I always think of exile as a space because of all this movement, I always think of exile as a space in which new ideas, like new cultural objects are made. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, I always, I, like, that's how I deal with my, with my trauma in that regard. So she's sitting like, um, yeah, she's, she's intervening as well into the whole, like, whole um, Huey P. Newton um, uh, picture of the Black Panther. <laughs> and also, um, and also um, um, referencing like uh, softcore porn, like Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. um, there used to be a show that used to pay, play when my parents went to sleep on a channel called ETV called Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. And it was shot in the 70s, all hazy mm -hmm. and stuff. And we used to watch it as um, kids and not get into trouble because my parents were snoring. Mm -hmm. And then um, also being at Utopia and all colorful and all of that, all those, all that is created. So it takes a weekend to put it all together and then like we pull it up to actually become a stage. Same as with the night of the long night mm -hmm. of another image in the whole uh, series. That's the way it is. So with all utopia, especially with like um, academic paintings, you always find something lurking in the background, yeah. like something about to attack the state of perfection. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe this could be the reason why utopias start having border agencies, mm -hmm. visas, all of that, to remind you that it's always under threat mm -hmm. or death is always around the corner. So that's what's going on with the... Is that well, it's got a nice Swarovski choker on, so it's as harmless. <laughs> it's very harmless, <laughs> you know. It's also stuffed, Peter folk. <laughs> and then this um, another thing, a crest mm -hmm. once again. So um, this one is a is a is a phoenix. But in South Africa, one of the first sort of like de a desegregated uh, places to eat was um, mm -hmm. chicken licking. Mm -hmm. And a phoenix, that's an adler. I think an adler is an eagle in sort of like in German. Mm -hmm. So you'd see it like you see the the, the, the eagle in Roman sort of like imperialism yeah. and also with the Third Reich. And also in America, there's a lot of eagling. Mm. Um, so for me, I was just saying that whole performance of empire itself is like, 
chicken licking. So your mm -hmm. phoenix is like a chicken, you know? So it somehow is a, <laughs> do that. And then the Pada for Snowflake was the first sculpture I actually did in the series called The Future White Woman of Azania. Um, both models, those lovely legs are mine from mm -hmm. 2013. And that body lying down as well is modeled on me on the same style as the sculpture that you see upstairs. Mm -hmm. um, the Pada for Snowflake is just basically how the war of the women or the future white women of Azania who are being led by the versatile Queen Ivy, then it's a start of a battle. It's the first thud that just starts a battle. You mm -hmm. know? And it had to be a thud of a snowflake because some wars are cold, you know? And some wars you don't feel it when... We don't know that we're in World War III. Maybe in retrospect, we can say, oh, it was World War III mm -hmm. that we were living through. So, how much, so the thud of a snowflake, a, a war, this is potentially a conflict. Uh, how, mu how much of this sense of these tensions, how much is this a kind of a theatrical execution and how much does this speak of your own childhood memories of conflict in South Africa? Well, as I said, like, Azania becomes this end of history whereby we feel that we've arrived, right? Yeah. But so much happens post-94 in South Africa. We get a wonderful constitution in 1996 that then entrenches my existence yes, as a homosexual exactly. male, right? And I exercise that. And um, also, like, employment. Mm -hmm. um, it starts getting better integration. Mm -hmm. But reconciliation also in the late 90s didn't happen. Most of the people that were in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which would be the South African version mm -hmm. of the Nuremberg trials, um, they didn't really get... They got um, amnesty mm -hmm. instead of actually paying for what they did mm -hmm. in their involvement. Some of them are lecturers at universities. There was a man called Dr. Death, um, Vota Basson, who, who actually exercised chemical warfare in the townships and introduced um, uh, mandrax, which is like a form of like a drug. And he introduced it, and he's, he's a lecturer of chemi chemistry in, uh, in uh, Stellenbosch right now, still around. So there's a lot of pains and yes. traumas that we have not dealt with, yeah. which I feel then was a perfect grounding for me as an artist to go like, let me make a fake war mm -hmm. that will then say that we can still do this again. Yeah. We can have another liberation struggle again. Yeah. yeah. So this is also like in a Panoptican prison. Um, basically, I made uh, myself into like a much larger architectural um, installation inside of this like 18th This is part century. of the first procession. Yes, yes. Um, um, and the Panoptican, do, 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 do. Foucault speaks a lot about the Panoptican yep. and um, surveying mm -hmm. and how you act and then behave when you're being surveyed. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's always like um, interested me because of performance once again. And also having to perform many identities and CVs as well. I always say CVs. When I'm out of character, I'm mm -hmm. in civilian clothes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then this was the one we did at SF MoMA. So here we, we then start staging at large scale. We were doing a theatrical adaptation that ranges, that really was born, you know, from a public performance. So describe what's going on with, what, I mean, what are we seeing here? We're seeing um, one character. Mm -hmm who is also the future white woman of Azania, who mm -hmm. is filled up with... The future white woman of Azania is this entity that can also have balloons and identity made up of air. And um, that one is filled up with talcum powder. So when that pops, there's this beautiful smell that just wafts over the theater. And uh, that it, like, the, the direction for her was to pop it within like two minutes mm -hmm. so that it actually makes 
a very, very, like, mm. yeah, she ends up, like, being in this cloud of smoke, which is also, like, basically, I wanted to sort of, like, you know, after, like, guns have been... Because when you pop those balloons, it's like... It's like a, a battle in itself. And then... So it was a stage, and we also had um, the other characters who actually put mm -hmm. ultraviolet light inside. So it's all this it's materiality. And is, is there, in the... Once those balloons are propped in a performance or in a procession, is there an end point? These figures in transition, are they revealed out of a cocoon in a final state? Or is this another transition that's taken place? What, you know, who are they? I always, you know, I never say that the real person, and it is never the real me. Who, you lie to her, you have somehow taken the extra redundant weight of your identity off, maybe the things that were put on you. But there's still things that we put on ourselves identity-wise mm -hmm. as well, like allies that we choose, politics that we choose, that somehow we outgrow mm -hmm. or somehow uh, we change into something else. So I always feel that that person is in continuous change. I feel that it, the mm -hmm. visage becomes another persona that can be peeled. Mm -hmm. You know, a rose by any other name is a cabbage, you mm -hmm. know? So Queens in Exile begins, and it's lavish. And we start seeing the versatile Queen Ivy as well. Um, the versatile Queen Ivy is in the first room there with the, with, the, um, with the coat and all those zebras and the fur. So this is also just me dedicating and sort of like doing history paintings of her. There's many paintings of people in exile, like Stalin in exile, Napoleon in exile. So I wanted to do a version of, like a female version of an, eg of an exile person, you know? And um, that's her lying down with beautiful carpets with, um, all various different like fabrics that I vibe with some delicious monster in the background again. So she, so she's in Azania, but she's also in exile. Or what's the? Well, what happens is that she, um, she then makes a decision to not submit to the oppression or the betrayal of the Rainbow Nation. Mm -hmm. You know, because we speak of gods, the characters that we make and the men we give power to. We also speak about um, the rainbow, which is the many promises, many nationalistic promises that come, uh, making America great again or whatever. Um, so that always betrays itself. So she decided, fuck it, you know? I'm actually going to choose exile after kicking your asses and run into an exile island. Mm -hmm. And that's how, um, that's how the procession then moves on to Queens in Exile, whereby uh, they are now in an exile island. Another monomyth, because the, the island has always been a myth of sorts. You either have Kafka's Island, you have um, St. John of, of, of uh, Patmos, um, mm -hmm. which is an island as well. Uh, what other? The island of Dr. Moreau. Mm -hmm. uh, in my case, in my personal case, it is the founding myth of South Africa or the founding myth of heroism in yeah. South Africa, yeah. which is that of Robin Island, yeah. where Nelson Mandela was and all of that. So I look at it, I live in Seapoint, so I look at it across the bay every day and it changes. And I've never been, by the way. <laughs> I'm not great with touristy mm -hmm. things, and I still see it as a touristy thing. But I'd love to do a performance there one day. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so this island has given birth to so much of this hyper-masculine founding myth of post-94 South Africa that somehow makes it, it perpetuates also the history of violence, you know? Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, it's, it's very contradictory. And it's an island that had all these talk, leaders, talk about but the there was no how, presence of women. How does it perpetuate the history of violence? Well, um, by saying that there were no women, 
you know? I think that one has to look very hard, and that was my process with Queens in Exile, with actually finding out about the island, like there were actual women who were there. On Robin during, Yeah, uh, before, before apartheid, mm -hmm. um, during the resistance to colonialism with the Kosa Wars, um, there was Queen Katye, an actual queen, um, who was there with Makoma, who was a king, a uh, king who was also part of the resistance against the British. So she was there, her husband died, and um, I don't know, we don't know what happened to her. So she was an actual queen, but also the title of the series, Queens in Exile, comes from mm -hmm. Sylvia Rivera's um, essay, mm -hmm. which is titled Queens in Exile, The Forgotten Ones. Procession again, and map making for me is something that goes throughout the show, but also goes throughout my work. So maybe I'm trying to chart this land. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to... Well, do you, do you have it in your head? Like, do you, do you have both Azania as a country and its people, but do you also have uh, the shape of this myth that you're describing here? Do you have a begin and an end to this story, to this idea? I'm, I'm just a documenter. It, it, it tells itself, <laughs> really. I just have to watch the news <laughs> and it tells itself. Yeah. Uh, but for me, um, the way that I do this um, as an exercise, mm -hmm. I, go, I go into Berlin Conference circa 1884, you know, where I'm like on a canvas, very, very automatically, like the way that those mm. leaders chopped up So this Africa, is, the, yeah, exactly. You know, so it, yeah. always, it always leads back to something that is based on a reality of yes. sorts. But also, an ex it's an experimentation of me wanting to move into an abstraction of sorts, mm. not a deep desire, trust me, but just mm. wanting to move to something that is not figurative. And I think that maps can have that. Look at sort of like pre-Columbian maps. Mm -hmm. um, they somehow have a very abstract thing whereby you have fishes that look quite demonic uh, on the edge of the ocean. So, so there's, there's, there's always an argument around these things, which is to say that, um, that the artist that deals with, let's say, politics or history and the artist of African origin that deals with that has a responsibility towards social realism, mm. towards depicting real events and consciousness raising mm. that comes out of that. Do you subscribe to that? Hell no. <laughs> no, because that then betrays my imagination, mm -hmm. literally. I think that socio-realism um, is great if you want to be didactic about things, but for me, I want to bust out with my mm -hmm. imagination and I want to bust out with imagining new possibilities yeah. because I was born at a time of such great optimism, mm -hmm. 10 years before the end of apartheid and also I was 10, like in 1994, mm -hmm. you know? And I lived at a time whereby there was all this happiness, there was all this social cohesion, mm. there was all the Simunye energy, you know? And so much, of course, um, was not being spoken mm. about, yeah. And I arrive in my exile island as the versatile queen. And um, the island is Robin Island, but I've renamed it Queen Gaki Island or Nongawuse Island because those, those are the two female figures that are then now in my reality need to come out and be celebrated. So I'm dressed as um, the costume we borrowed from Hadi Silasi um, from his coronation. And then the hat I made myself. It's a beautiful <laughs> moonlit. Dutch painting day, mm -hmm. and um, yeah. Once again, um, this is another work that goes with the maps within Queens in Exile. Mm -hmm. It's called A Land Without a People, for a people without a land. So then now we start talking about when one is chased away from a place, right? Mm -hmm. And um, goes into a, a, an empty land. Mm -hmm. And then someone comes 
let's say, pastoralist or pastoral, like in South Africa, the justification of apartheid was that there was no black people on the land. They all came from somewhere else. And yeah, of course, pastoralists, they're not exactly in Table Bay at that yeah. moment. They were somewhere else and then they came. So it became like, that's a, a, a mind play of mm -hmm. sorts, right? So also it applies to um, a Zionist theme, but um, a Zionist theme, which is basically that a land without a people, for a people without, without mm -hmm. a land, always goes to um, refer to the to, to Palestine, yeah. to the fact that there was no people there. Yeah. And okay, it was for us because we needed land. And I find that those contradictions, I should always touch in and say, how's it, Palestine? We're still with you, you know? This is an epiphany at sea. This is the versatile Queen Ivy, like chilling on a boat with a stormy sea. There's always an epiphany at sea. What's the epiphany? God damn it, I'm gonna go back to South Africa and kill all those men. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, she is thinking about something mm -hmm. very deep. And uh, it plays out in, in many, many, many ways, I'm sure. The first thing that happens is the glamouring. The glamouring is a process that happens after they kidnap me, the character of the elder mm -hmm. and the narrator, and the artist, and the male artist in this world of women, you know? Mm -hmm. and so suddenly you're present in... Yeah, I am present. present. I am complicit. I am reflecting on my complicity um, because since 2005, I've been um, working with drag as a medium. It's a high art to me. And um, I get to take the clothes off, but there are many people who are born and actually are in lives whereby they do not take that identity off and then get mm -hmm. to participate in the patriarchal system. And if I do not say that, then I'm, that means I'm omitting something within the story. Mm -hmm. And I think that where I'm from, there's a lot of complicity that we just need to be peaceful in accepting our roles in things. So this, this state that you're in... The glamouring. Yeah, which is, you know, you've got breasts, Yes. You know, um, and a is, penis. And a penis. Is this partly then about saying that there isn't a singular place? There isn't a singular place. And also, I think that the versatile queen was trying to make me, or the elder, or the artist, not be able to go back to the old South Africa mm -hmm. and to stay in exile, Azania. You know? So that, um, yeah, so that if I go back, I'll be like this guy who's not heteronormative, mm -hmm. you know? And if I stay here, I'll still be questioning myself, how do I belong? How do I belong in this exile? Do I need to then do more changes, mm -hmm. assume more genders, and all of that? Yeah, and also, just for representation, you know, mm -hmm. there are bodies like that, and mm -hmm. we don't get to yeah. see a lot of bodies like that mm -hmm. in, uh, in, in museums. This ended up in the um, South African National Gallery once, mm -hmm. and my nephew, called me about it and um, my sister gave the phone and my nephew called about it and spoke about, uncle, I saw your dick. And it was very interesting, the fact that, wow, body is all up in there and mm -hmm. now things are being broken down, you know? And then this is the character of the elder. Mm -hmm. um, the image itself, the, the tapestry is appliqued with hand-colored um, um, flowers, silk flowers. So the flowers were different colors. You can see purples for texture and depth there. And uh, we painted them black. And also, I'm holding a gesture that that gesture comes, it, it references a lot of things, quite religious, yeah. quite pacifist. Yeah. But around the time that I was doing it, it was around the time of Trayvon, around the time of Sandra, the, mm -hmm. uh, you know? It was the beginning of those. So hands up, don't shoot. Yeah, hands yeah. up, don't shoot. My hands are white, yeah. please don't, you know? And um, also putting myself in a very divine position because mm -hmm. that's gold, a gold halo. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, um, 
yeah, it's, I'm trying to probably say, no, don't decapitate me. And it's a very, very big thing that goes through my work with Queens in Exile. Mm -hmm. Actually, talk, now you mentioned this to me once, that you did, a, you did one of these performances, one of the processions that you did with uh, the Future White Women and Balloons. And I think it was a, one in, in the Netherlands where you ended up hanging the... Can you talk about that for a moment? Because, yes. yeah. So within the Exile Island, there's a decimation that happens. And um, the population of the balloon characters, the, um, the future white women of Azania avatars, um, are then hung. Because I always find that um, during revolutions, revolutions eat themselves up and people mm -hmm. start turning on each other. But also at the same time, Miss Azania is the general of the army in exile. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't just exist as this beautiful woman. She's got power to just decimate um, uh, are people who do not want to follow suit and prepare themselves for the new Azania, you know? But this was, this was, this was something that you acted out as a procession. Yes, yes. Um, it was at a, at a festival called Roskilde, and that happens in Denmark. So we um, looked for months <laughs> for an oak tree that stands alone, like a one tree hill of sorts. And uh, we hung 10, because decimation is when uh, a punishment that the Romans do and also in like armies like like contemporary 20th century armies people used to like okay we're not if a person one person does wrong we're gonna kill 10 of you mm -hmm. um and then that somehow builds um a unity of sorts an unquestionable unity um yeah and the people um had to grab sticks as they entered the venue and they had to poke <laughs> the balloons so everyone was just having the most fun poking but these balloons. But these are people But these are suspended. effigies as yeah. well hanging from yeah. these trees. So when you look at it, there is a, a recording of it online. If you look at it, you'll, you'll see it in a different way than the way those people were quite participating <laughs> in sort of like popping balloons with powders on them. And that's once again a trickster thing I play on the yeah. audience. So I think very hard on how I'm going to like involve an audience in live performance in that sense. Yeah. And then the Man or Queen himself is simply a dedication to the ability to assume, you know, the ability to assume the identity that you want, when you want, whenever times you want. And it's just a votive portrait. Um, that's still a design. I would love to do um, a crown that's made up of like platinum, mm -hmm. a platinum cast of ribs. One day, mm -hmm. um, me and my Bollywood earrings and like Tron. So it's like different um, elements. Like I love there's a, Tron. There's a lot of references. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm in like a great TV way. Kid. <laughs> yeah. I was raised on TV and it's kind of like my third parent, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I was like, my parent, my mom is a midwife, so mm -hmm. she was working double shift. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a journalist living in the Tron sky. So it was just like, there's a fridge, <laughs> there's TV, mm -hmm. make it happen. <laughs> and I kind of did. What's the editing process or the curating process or, or whatever, whatever we want to call it? What gets left out yeah. versus what gets brought in? Let's say if we're making a piece like this mm. with its whole sets of references. Well, there's an automatic element to it. It's very much about mood because all of these elements flow um, in my body and in my mind. So I'm able to just purge it and mm -hmm. also like go bleh on it and then it somehow becomes a coherent thing mm -hmm. and sometimes it can just be by design like mm -hmm. thinking that okay this is how i'd like to see the design so on a tapestry i would uh, yeah i'll do prep drawings and all of that and then i'll just draw everything so underneath all of these threads there's actually a drawing that's made up of pastels that oil pastels that i then mm -hmm. stitch over and create a reality 
like when I first bought them, it used to be this, I used to buy them at Habi shops and they used to be printed with like a, a Watteau or a Boucher or um, some surrealist or whatever, like mm-hmm. a Dali, there's always a lot of Dali, <laughs> Petit Pond, that, could, that guy was great at licensing. <laughs> and uh, so for me, that movement then mm-hmm. allows me and also breaks free and allows me to queen myself mm-hmm. and decide what I want to draw, mm-hmm. you know? Of course, in exile, it's this place where we're sitting and proposing the future. We're talking about Switzerland earlier, being where this place of exile during World War I and uh, during the Russian Revolution, whereby um, our manifestos were written. I always find exile to also be a space whereby, especially my characters, while they're in exile, they're writing their manifestos. They're counter-proposing what they're going to do when they actually go back home and take over mm-hmm. and become the new government. Um, Nelson Mandela finished a lot of degrees when he was in Robben Island. So it's that kind of thing of saying, like, I'm, I'm preparing. I'm preparing mm-hmm. as much as I'm here and I can't help it, but I'm preparing for something. So the ever-promised erection, yes, it's meant to be a pun. And um, it is, yeah, it is, the yeah, nations always are promising that, okay, we're going to put this and this there. But also... In South Africa, around this time, we're going through the Roads Must Fall movement, Mm -hmm. whereby um, we were wanting statues um, of colonial or genocidal maniacs like Rhodes or Smuts or whoever Mm -hmm. um, to be taken down as a decolonization, uh, as a reimagining of the future. Um, I'm always torn about the decision for that. Yeah, where do you where do you where do do you stand? Yeah. Um, For me, I actually, it's addition for me. I want more, more, more. Not more genocidal maniacs, but I want, I, I would like them to be taken to a graveyard. There's something very, you get to choose when you're driving past a, um, a graveyard. And it would be nice if we'd take them all down, put them in a place whereby um, you have the choice. You so you don't want them obliterated, as it were, you just want yeah, them exiled. I want them, I want them to be moved. And also, if they do stand in the place that they stand in, they must remove parts like, he was a gallant fighter for in, the, in, in, in this campaign or mm. that campaign or the builder of the country or whatever. I would like to have a plaque that says, you know, he, Cecil John Rand said he'll build Africa with the belly of the native or the nigger. I don't know. Mm. But um, it's those things. It's too traumatic. I jog in, in, the, in town and I see the sculpture of like, Cecil John Rhodes like mm. this, saying, to the hinterland, you know? Mm. And um, I'm like, shit, I get like uh, PTSD mm. because it's, it, it, it becomes like a genetic pain or a historical pain or something mm. like that. So I would like it to be moved away so mm. that I don't get to relive the trauma that is generational in my family, as alive as my oldest brother, you know, who, mm. has, who, has different op- who had to have different opportunities from me mm-hmm. because of a generational thing. So we suggested this first one, the ever-promised erection, as one of the monuments that we'll put into the new Azania. So I go through that. And the technique, of course, is hand-painted flowers. And all of them are scans of my body and moldings and scans of my body. So once again, I am putting myself into this land, but I'm also expanding on Mm -hmm. what performance can be for me. And performance for me has to always end up being an object because there has to be a child who has to know somewhere, especially from my community, that these things exist. Because um, I remember once being like a friend of mine um, being late for a performance and someone was like, oh, darling, you had to be there. And my friend was like, I fucking live in Kailicha. I can't go. <laughs> like, there's no way in which mm. I can be there. So in my head, I was like, we need to create, like, that's my drive, a big drive mm-hmm. of mine of wanting to go into different mediums. 
document it in video so that it can actually be on a cell phone and YouTube for mm -hmm. a, a kid who lives in a peri-urban area because also I'm in the um, high school syllabus. My work is in the high school syllabus in South Africa. So I'm trying to find ways mm -hmm. in which I can make the art a total Gesamtkunst um, mm -hmm. kind of art, you know? Okay, let's go to one last slide because I want to leave room for some questions oh, from yes. the audience. But let's let, we can do, we can, we can do one more and then... Oh, so we proposed... Um, <laughs> a model for the new Azanian. Mm -hmm. And uh, so these are just proposals. Maybe one day someone mm -hmm. in the Department of Arts and Culture could be like, hey, you know, maybe you should make these. I don't think that will ever happen. But <laughs> so I'll just keep on proposing mm -hmm. for, for probably like the white tube space mm -hmm. or something like that. But also living, who do you memorize? Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the omissions part of the show. Like, um, who do you memorize? Who do you cut away and put away in the in a graveyard of human folly mm -hmm. or human mistakes. Um, one day, maybe this, there will be some new politic that comes up one day that says, hey, you must stop, like, you must stop doing models. Models are out. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. Like, the world changes and history judges us worse. Mm -hmm. The babies judge us worse. Um, let's go to, yeah, let's, let, 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 let's go to questions. If people have got questions, we've got um, a roving mic. Uh, so if anyone's got questions, you can put up your hand. Uh, there's always this slight lull. This, there's one at the woods, enthusiastic hand at the back. Enthusiastic hand up there. Well, after that, you have to be enthusiastic. It's incredible to hear your thinking and um, to hear your madness and insanity, but brilliance at the same time. And colourful joy about this expression you have. One thing that was really intriguing me in the gallery was the how you hang, I know it's a technical question, probably super boring, but oh, you never. hang the work, not vertical, 90, 90 degrees, it's always at an angle. What does that uh, imply, the angle? Is there something there or is it just... There's nothing straight about me, so I don't expect <laughs> to be hanging straight. So um, that's the first part. But okay. also, when I was being taught by Mrs. Um, Schultz, she used to like hit us with the ruler on the hand if we didn't uh, use a frame. Okay. So for me, it's kind of like a to her, mm. but also at the same time, I want the trace of the actual, like a trace of the actual action that happened on it to not look so store-bought. You know, if it's straight, it looks like you just like bought it from a shop or granny made it with the highest discipline. So at some point, I need to have a, um, an entry point of transgression, you know? Okay, thank you. And, and just on that straightness talk, I mean, um, with the issues that you bring out and the complexities of that subject matter, um, how is that received? And does that dialogue extend into sort of wider sort of uh, forums in South Africa itself? Well, the work itself um, now shows in public spaces. We're in the collection of the South African National Gallery. They sometimes pull it out and have a drag queen climbing a church in a video work of mine, or they'll have a tribute to Simon Goli, who was, um, I'll speak about later, and also, yeah, various, various um, other characters. <laughs> so they get to see the memorializations now and also these, like, lands of Azania and all of that. So once again, me putting myself in a complicit, or rather raising questions of complicity mm -hmm. by putting myself in something that will outlive all of us, and something that I could never take that beautiful, flouncy uh, Spanish mm -hmm. ruffle. 
So this is my largest tapestry to date. It is um, four by five meters tall. And it took us, yeah, literally from 2013 up until last year. And it is, um, it is my roll call in exile. So we have the walking wound, which is a new character that I'm introducing to you now. Um, the walking wound is, a, is, you see it in a lot of writings in post-94 South Africa and how we refer to ourselves as a nation. We always say we're a wounded nation or we're a walking wound. Or there's always this trauma. We do acknowledge the trauma, but mm -hmm. we just don't know how to deal with it. And that's always such a funny space. But also, once again, that history of violence being um, perpetuated on a woman's body is something that touches me because it affects me and my family. Mm -hmm. It affects me with my friends. It affects me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm afraid of stepping outside some days dressed in certain ways, mm -hmm. you know. However, yeah. And then water always represents, in like uh, in Kosa cosmology or in African cosmology, um, not to assume or blanket it, the water is a purification, it's a purge, it's a washing away. I always see it in my dreams as well. Um, and every time, like, I, there's a, um, a dream interpreter in the local uh, newspaper, the, the Kosa newspaper called Isoleza, I read it every Saturday. And people are always having dreams about water, and they're like, change is happening in your life. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was putting that in mm -hmm. as well. Um, a menagerie of animals is probably, I'd love to have, like, a big garden where I could have peacocks and tigers and things like that. And also um, bringing that in is primitivism again. There's always that black figure posing with that, an animal or something. That has always, I know that it is, it is sort of like a, um, um, a throwback to a primitivism, but I put it in there so that I can mm. actually say that I see it, you know, mm -hmm. I see it happening. So once again, we see my decapitated head um, with the versatile Queen Ivy now changing direction and changing identity. And becoming, um, I modeled um, her face, her sitting on the crown, um, sitting on the throne, um, is um, an image from my, you see it in the video when the versatile Queen Ivy opens um, the Dompas. Mm -hmm. um, it's my maternal grandmother, and that's the only image I have of her. So I've taken it from this genocidal um, document that controlled where she moved, how she moved, how she got her pension, if she even did get her pension. And it's the only image I have of her. So there's like, wow, I get to see my mother's mom, you know? But damn, she's being referred to as a Kaffir woman officially, mm. you know? So it becomes this like bittersweet thing. And I wanted to clean that up uh, and exercise it and make it something of glory. This now um, has been acquired by the Smithsonian. Sorry, it's one of the many languages I speak English. Um, and also we have um, also me entering and cleaning some things. That's um, the national bird in South Africa, mm -hmm. which is the blue crane. That's the national flower in real life South Africa, which is the strelitzia. It's also the flower of um, arts and culture. It's usually there's an order of the strelitzia that's given to uh, people with letters and um, words. And then we see drones. So there's now this imagining of battles and like how it's going to happen in, uh, in Azania when the versatile queen goes back. And then also like take on the whole idea of the Madonna and child, mm -hmm. you know? Somehow to try and leave, um, yeah, to, I don't know, I love babies. I wouldn't like to, like, I don't want to have one, but um, I do love them around me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I, they, they represent an optimism for me and they make me go to studio to actually work mm. and actually create new images, new counter proposals for mm -hmm. them. 
So I do not see them as someone that I want to raise, but it's someone that I want to empower. I mean, you talk about utopia. Does your work come out of um, an, a still optimism, a still present optimism, or a kind of abandonment of that? Uh, and I'm thinking here, maybe politically, but also personally. Mm. Mm. I'm quite optimistic and I'm very enthusiastic. Um, but when I step outside, I don't see that. And that's where the politics starts. It's always mm -hmm. with resistance to me. Yeah. I think my, my politics are validated by resistance mm -hmm. to either my identity or my voice or something. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm working with that um, all the time. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something that then how do I own that? How do I then not take the power away from the other person, but how do I empower myself to be able to have an even louder voice, you know, and um, somehow bring new proposals through? Mm -hmm. And of course, color does that, that whole thing of seduction, because seduction is a tool, especially in performance. Mm. You can be able to speak truth to power, and then I'm like, hmm, everyone will be like, you know? <laughs> okay, yeah. let's, let's also, questions, if people have them, they don't have to, but... If not, we can carry on going for a few minutes, which is great. Oh, we've seen her, the versatile queen, of course. Mm -hmm. So this is the proposed model. This is at the Zeitz um, uh, Mocha, at the, at the Mocha at the moment. Mm -hmm. And um, the proposed monument for Simon Corley um, is, yeah, for me, Simon Corley, I need to explain, because he's one of my queens in exile. Mm -hmm. um, Simon Corley was um, an anti-apartheid cadre. And also at the same time, he was um, um, the founder of the first um, LGBTQI um, like, uh, party in South Africa or an organization. And he always found himself having to negotiate those. Um, he had to find himself negotiating those identities and found himself in a state of exile, you know? Here it is. So what I think what's fascinating and important is that you know, these works don't exist solely in the realm of fantasy. Oh, no, they can't, because that means I'm perpetuating, I'm perpetuating the same thing that oppressed me. Yeah. You know, to smile while pain is happening. Okay, so, again, I still want to, we've got about five minutes left, so, if anyone, lady over there. Thank you. Um, I'm from East Africa, so when I saw the future white women of Azania, I thought of Tanzania because um, Azania is one of the federations. Tanzania itself consists of Tanganyika, Zanzibar, and Azania. Yes. And I was wondering if you've visited or if you draw some of your... Um, it's, it, I'm saving so much money. Even the money I'm making here <laughs> is going to me, going to take like a three months, just discovering the, the civilizations, the medieval um, buildings that are there and all of that, yeah. But also at the same time, South African imperialism is something else. We've got such a confidence because we want that word. We want South Africa to have its name changed to Azania when we know exactly where it's geographically located. It's so weird. <laughs> if not, let's do one last slide and then, yeah. And then upstairs you get to then also in the final room, I get to, um, I learned how to pronounce this word a couple of hours ago, beatify, beatify. Yeah. So it's one of the, like I used to say beatify, <laughs> but it's beatify. And um, 
Basically, uh, Feral Benga is the celebration in the, in, the, in the final room after exile, where I'm celebrating one queen in exile who um, is based on reality, but I fantasize him and I somehow um, embody the knowledge of him. He comes from a, a very um, weird time, which is um, primitivism. Um, he leaves um, Senegal in the early 20s, moves to Paris, and works for the Folie Berger with um, Josephine Baker. He would also do um, drag performances of Josephine Baker. And I am absolutely enthralled and liberated by learning about him. And so I decided to um, do a work that is a celebration of him and somehow monumentalize to somehow put him in an archive that has somehow afforded him in the past, in the past sort of like 100 years of modernism, because now we're in 2018, meaning that we should start being happy about this centennial celebration of us as black people being in modernism and getting paid instead of being in a human zoo or being um, fodder for Picasso or something. Well, on that note, <laughs> that seems to be an appropriate moment, I would suggest, for us to finish our talk. Um, please do join me in giving a very big thank you to Atty Patrick. <laughs>